You're listening to The Church Boys Freefall Q&A. It's Billy Hollowell here with The Church Boys Podcast, and I have author Sarah Dorman on the line. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm doing well, Billy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Well, I'm excited that we're connecting. It's been a, a long time waiting here, and I'm, I'm happy to talk with you about a variety of things. Uh, the first thing, obviously, your new book, If You're a Christian and Everyone Likes You, Something's Wrong, which I love that title, by the way. It's great. Thank you. <laughs> well, I guess my first my first question, because the title itself, I think, really is sort of catching. And it made the first time I saw it, I thought, that's really interesting. Because obviously we we all as human beings want to be well liked. We all want people to look at us and say, Oh, what a great person he or she is. But the reality is as Christians, sometimes the views that we hold uh don't necessarily reflect those views of the world in which we're living. So I guess I'll I'll just start by asking you, what was it that led you to pick this title? Well, it started out, the book really didn't start out as a book. Really. It started out mostly as journal entries, and they were putting being put in a journal primarily because of a crisis, faith crisis, let's call it that, that I was experiencing at the time. And what it was based on was the fact that I was in a situation where I was surrounded pretty much by Christians of all uh, backgrounds, you know, different denominations, different walks, different lengths of their walk. And I was uh, watching and living with these people and traveling even with these people and realizing that while we all loved the Lord, we all had a, a faith, that faith lived itself out in very different ways. And uh, ages were different too. And I noticed younger people culturally were living in a way that from my perspective, I just didn't think it was biblical. Now, I know the the point you made, you know, we all want to be liked. Well, you know, some of us, my husband said he, he wishes I would try a little harder to want to be liked. And I said, you know, he said, would it kill you just to try to be liked by people? I said, might, it just might, because I would rather honor God and be loved by God than be loved by man. And I think that's the mess we've fallen into as Christians. We've learned to compromise our faith. We've learned to not rock the boat, don't make waves, don't step on toes. You know, if, you're, if your Christian neighbor's kids are living together before marriage, that's perfectly all right, and you shouldn't even think another thing about it. Um, if a man you know is having an affair, the pa- I mean, how many pastors have fallen in that regard? And it happens. We're all sinful. We all have a sin nature. We're born that way. And uh, however, God does say he won't give us any temptation. He won't present us with any temptation. He will not also provide us a way to get out of. Problem is, we don't look for the way out. We always looking for the way in. Right. Yeah, and the way to continue. And I was going through this because I was with people who I admired, I looked up to, I respected, and they were Christians for, like, born Christians, practically. And, um, you know, it caused me to stop and think that maybe... I was being too narrow-minded, too rigid, too judgmental, too legalistic, and then I started reading the Bible. I said, "No, I'm not. I'm. This is what God says, and this is what He means." And I don't didn't see much wiggle room in some of these things, and uh, so I had to reevaluate a lot of things at that point. And that's why when I did the book, I did ten freestanding chapters on ten very different topics. Um, I could have written thirty chapters on thirty different topics, but I picked ten that I thought were fundamental, starting, of course, with obedience. And I put that on my website for free, thinking if, you know, if you're not willing to be obedient, don't buy the book and read the other nine chapters. There's no point to that. (laughs) 
And uh, I just felt it was important to put the foundation of obedience right there, the platform upon which everything else, (laughs) prayer, forgiveness, love, is going to be built. And uh, so it did start out as as journal entries, and that lasted three or four years. I would say from the first pencil to paper to the book you see now, I'm going to say probably six years total. Wow. And so, and it's interesting because the country's changed a lot during those six, six years. <laughs> oh, seen yes, a lot it has. Of things happen, especially the last few. I, I would say 2012 to now, probably, in my view, the biggest changes, culturally right. speaking. Well, wh- one of the other questions I have, you look at the title, and I think Christians have this, this, um, perception or there's a perception of Christians in society that, that they're hateful, they're not loving, that mm-hmm. we, and you know, I mean, most Christians know this, what the perception is. And when you talk about, you know, if you're a Christian and everyone likes you, something's wrong, you, at first glance, somebody might say, well, does that mean we should be, and I know you don't think this, but we should be jerks or we should be the, how do you find that balance and what? how exactly do we behave in a culture where we feel, I think a lot of people feel oppressed or they feel like they're on the defensive right now as Christians? Well, I think we are literally living in an anti-Christian culture in this country right now. I mean, I think we've we've made a huge swing from the time when prayer was taken out of school to today. There have been multiple, multiple changes in society and in our culture. And uh, you're right. I mean, I say in the in the you know in the beginning of the book, I talk about if you if you believe that gay marriage is not God's best for a person, then you're homophobic. And there are you know you're judged based on everything. If you if you're not for abortion, then you're a sexist, you're anti-woman. And I think that you can take a stand on these issues. I have gay relatives and I have gay friends, and they know exactly where I stand, but it has never once come between us. And I love them every bit as much as I love everyone else. It's just that they know where I stand. They know what I believe. But they also know that I love them. They also know that I'm going to be there for them. And I think you're right. Christians are most often known for what they're against rather than for what they're for. And what we should be for is love. That's the bottom line to everything as far as I'm concerned. There's just not enough of that going around right now. And I think we need to learn to be more compassionate, more understanding, and more forgiving. And forgiveness is probably the favorite chapter of mine in the book because it's the one I think we need the most. But I think we need to forgive ourselves first and then start in the area of forgiving others. But in, in a culture today where anything goes, anything goes, anything you want to do, say, think, or feel, you can put it out there in 141 characters on Twitter or post it on Facebook or Instagram. And, you know, there's a verse in the Old Testament in Samuel that says they've lost their ability to blush. And I think we as a culture have lost our ability to blush. We've lost, there's no shame left. There is nothing left that I'm aware of, if there is, please tell me, where there's actual shame involved. And I think that's a very sad thing. And I think as Christians, we're responsible for that to a great extent. Because we've allowed this to happen. The anti-Christian culture didn't become anti-Christian without our help. I don't think, anyway. What do you think, and what do you think the actions we took, and you sort of read right into my, my mind into the next question I was going to ask you, why do you think we're responsible? Because I tend to I tend to agree with you, and I'm curious to know why you think, though, what steps we took collectively, when I say we as Christians, that led us to this point as a broader culture? Well, I think that, again, I think we've, as, as we both said, we've become known for what we're against, not what we're for. I think that's one thing. I think 
evangelistic uh, evangelism has taken on a bad connotation. I mean, we've gone from, you know, uh, the Reformation, and then we come into becoming evangelical, which, you know, half the people that I know that call themselves evangelical couldn't give you a definition of the word if they had to. (laughs) But I think that as a culture, we as Christians have sat back, we've, we have, we are judgmental. Let's be honest. We're very judgmental. We're, we're, um, and people say, well, it's not judgment, it's discernment. I said, okay, you call it what you want to call it. The people who aren't Christians call it judgment. And, and that's, you know, but there are so many good Christians out there who do so many wonderful things, but the negativity, the Westboro Baptist Church types overshadow. You don't see Samaritan's Purse on the news. You see the Westboro Baptist Church. Right. And, in, and the media likes to portray Christians the way they want to, which are negative, race-baiting, homophobic, xenophobic people, and we allow it. We do nothing to counteract their message. And I think we need to. I think, and how do we do that? I don't know. Well, I think there are, I, you and I both know thousands of people who are wonderful, God-fearing people who would give you the shirt off their back. But, but who do we, do we ever hear about them? Do we ever talk to them? Do we ever see them? No. No, we just see the hateful kind of Christian, the, the ones that are giving all of us the bad name that we've acquired. Yeah. And I don't know how you turn that around. I honestly don't. Well, I think that we have to come that. together. We don't have a, you know, that Billy Graham used to be the voice of Christianity, the face of Christianity. And now that he's, he's not out of the picture yet, but he, there's no one to take his place. There's no leader. There's no voice for Christians. And the Christians themselves are divided. The Presbyterian church is divided. The Episcopal church is divided. All the churches are divided. So if we can't agree with each other, how are we going to agree with people who don't think the way we do? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think part of the problem, this is just my view, is that we need to be there. You know, we need to have a presence. We, a lot of us as Christians have, you know, we're not writing books. We're not, you know, not everybody can write a book. Not everybody could be a journalist. Not everybody could be an actor in Hollywood and not everybody could be a college professor. But those are the areas where I think the, the left, and when I say left, I'm mainly talking about theological left, you know, but also political left has reigned and there, and they have those areas, I think, of influence pretty well dominated, whereas Christians are not very present in those areas. So it's, of, you know, in my view, we, we sort of have a lot of information streaming to people and it's coming from one side and the other side is not really present, partially because they've been banned, but partially because we've chosen not to be present. So, I yeah, it's tough. And I would think, I guess, you know, lo- looking at all of this and how fast it's moved, right, in the last couple of years, what what are your big sort of fears? And then I want to talk about some positive elements, but what are your big fears about where it's headed? Well, I th- based on my perception and my, which of course your perception is your reality of where things are going. I, I, I can see our religious freedoms being widowed away. I mean, there are little things that we read about every day and see that they're not being put out there by the media, but such as uh, chaplains in the military are no longer allowed to give Bibles to the soldiers when they enlist. Well, why not? And they're not allowed to pray openly, but, um, you know, the, the separation of church and state, which if you say anything long enough, obviously people begin to believe it's a law, <laughs> is not a law. It's never been a law. 
it will never be a law. It was written in a letter in 1803 from a Danbury Baptist minister to Thomas Jefferson, congratulating him on his election and saying he hoped he would continue the separation of church and state, which did not mean keep the church out of the state. It meant keep the state out of the church. After all, that's why the country was founded. But yet there are people, if you ask 10 people, where is that found? They'll tell you either the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution. <laughs> the people are uneducated. And many of them, uh, history isn't taught the way it should be in schools anymore. But I think that the thing that I fear the most are losing our religious liberties. I mean, we have no clue in this country how free we are to worship God in the way we do. As as much as we may feel it's being curtailed to some degree, I was part of a group called the Hegei Institute out in Maui, and these are women and men, literally, who come from all over the world who have people follow them to places because they know they're Christians. They can't say certain things. They can't do certain things in their countries. They can't carry Bibles openly. They can't even mention the name of Jesus openly. And this is today. This is in our world today these things are happening. So we really have a lot more freedom than we realize, and we're spoiled. We don't realize how blessed we are and how much we have. And, you know, I'm afraid we're going to wake up one morning and find out a lot of what we've had taken for granted is gone. But we need to fight for it. You know, it's the old onward Christian soldiers. Come on, guys. We have something to fight for. Martin Luther King said, if you have nothing worth dying for, you have nothing worth living for. And he was right. And, you know, I remember the girl, Rachel, at, at Columbine. They asked her if she was a Christian, and she knew if she said yes, she would die. And she said yes. Now, I'd like to think I would be able to do that, too, but I'm not 100% sure. I don't think anybody is until they're faced with it. But I think our religious liberties are being taken away from us little by little. You know, it's the frog in the water kind of thing. It's cold water, and then it becomes hotter and hotter. Before you know it, it's gone. It's funny. And I don't want that to happen. I'm old enough now that my, as I say, I have more history than future, but I have kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, and uh, they're the ones I'm concerned for. Yeah, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time, and I know these debates and discussions are complicated. Looking at the bakers and the and the photographers and the you know the wedding yeah. vendor debate, and you know, I guess what I walk away from, even if I were an atheist, and I'm obviously not, my confusion is sort of in the in the line of saying, well, why are we for? And I know this gets very complex because of anti discrimination laws, um, but why are we forcing people into a position of having to use their talents to do something that they really feel violates? And it's, it's a sincerely felt belief. It's not something that somebody's making up. It's not – I know there are a lot of examples that people will raise, uh, you know, well, a diner can't turn away, you know, an interracial couple or a gay couple for that matter. And I would say, well, yes, of course they can. But we're talking about forcing people into ser providing services at a wedding or for a wedding that they feel very strongly with a historical rooting to their theology – um, against doing. And it's just, it's a fascinating time, I think, in our country where we have some amendments that are sort of being pitted against each other. I think it's the 14th Amendment and the First Amendment really here. Um, and you talk about religious freedom and rights. These, I think, are going to be big issues moving forward and quickly here in the next couple of years, because one of those cases is going to hit the Supreme Court at some point. Oh, I think they absolutely will. And I think that with uh, Donald Trump and Mike Pence taking over, and uh, I'm not sure where Donald Trump stands spiritually. I've been told and heard that he accepted the Lord, that Paula White led him to the Lord, and I pray that that's true. Um, 
And as some of my friends down south would say, well, I don't think it took yet. Well, okay, maybe not, but give him a chance. But I know Mike Pence is a, is a godly man. So I think maybe they can bring some sense and some balance and common sense is all it takes, you know. But if common sense were common, wouldn't more people have it? I don't know. It just seems to me that we are Christians as, as a population in this country are, have fewer rights than Muslims. Muslims, you know, they're, they're the only group in this country, and I have a Muslim daughter-in-law, so please don't think I'm anti-Muslim. I'm certainly not any, at any shape or form, but I think we as Christians have lost a lot of the freedoms that we once had, <coughs> the freedom to pray the fr- in, in schools, the, you know, separation of church and state. We have taxpayer dollars paying a chaplain to open the Senate every day in prayer. Now, I believe they need it. But if the Senate can open in prayer, why can't schools? I just don't understand that. Uh, that that's one of those things that just has never made any sense to me, but you never hear anybody c- complain about it. Well, it's interesting. Those are taxpayer government dollars paying a man of the cloth to pray in public for our senators every day. And what's on okay. the money that they're using to pay him, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I think all of this has – it's become very fascinating to watch, and you really are seeing a clash of worldviews, whereas – you know, I think as a Christian, and, I, and that's why I love the title of your book, you know, everyone can't love you. There are going to be people who, who don't love what you stand for and you believe. But, you know, I think when push comes to shove, it's good for us as Christians to have relationships with people who are different from us and to show that we can love them regardless of those differences. And I have many of the same friendships that you had mentioned in my life, some of my closest friends, in fact, where we don't agree on much of anything, but they know and we respect you know, where one another stands and how one another lives, even though we don't um, necessarily agree. Um, the alternative to that, and I know, and I wanted to ask you about this. I mean, there's a, there are a lot of Christians who would say, no, you need to, you know, oil and water can't be together. You've got to separate. You can't have those deep relationships with people who are different. How would you respond to that sort of claim? Well, I think there's a, there is an element of truth to that. I think that um, I have two sisters, neither of whom know the Lord, okay? And as close as I am to them, I mean, I share their blood, I share their history. And as close as I am to them as sisters, I realized years ago that the single most important thing to me, which is my relationship with the Lord, is not something I can share with them. Now, I can share everything else, and we love each other, we have a good time together, we laugh, but when it comes down to the fundamental thing that keeps me going every day, it's not something that they experience to the same degree I do. Now, they know where I stand, obviously, they've both read my book, Um, you know, and I pray for them every day that they will come to know the Lord. But I think that you can have close and good relationships with people that you don't agree with, uh, for sure. And I think it's, I know that non-Christians tend to watch Christians, how they live, how they act, usually when things aren't going well. And I think that's the example we need to set. When you say, the title of my book, people said, well, don't you want to be liked by everybody? And I said, you know what? Christ is our example. He told us we will be hated because of him. He tells us that. And also, he got hung on a cross, not obviously because it was part of God's plan, but because his life was such an example to others, it made people feel uncomfortable. Now, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, but I think for me it's more important to please the Lord, and it should be all of us to please the Lord than it is those around us. And I think that when you have relationships with people with whom, like this this political season we just went through, 
they were doing they were doing things on television, how to have Thanksgiving with people you don't share your political <laughs> views with. I mean, people, families were divided and friendships were destroyed over this, which is very, very sad. It's truly very sad. But yet time will heal that and people will come back together. But as far as being in a relationship with people who aren't Christians, I think, like you said, I think it's important that we have those friendships. That's the great commission, go out and share the gospel. And use words when necessary. You know, they say preach the gospel and only use words when necessary. And I think we have to learn to live our life out and be an example and be a light and, and be salty enough to make others thirsty. I think that's our goal. That should be our goal. And in the meantime, we will hurt people's feelings. We, we will step on toes. But, you know, I think if we can just present the gospel in a loving way, either through words or action, I think that's what you have to do. And... Uh, you know, that's what God calls us to do. I think that's what's important. And and people will dislike you. There's no question about that. They aren't going to like you. But is there not liking you your problem, or is it making them feel uncomfortable? I don't know. That's the question you have to answer. I love that. No, I, and I really appreciate that. And I would love to have you back again. This has been a really interesting discussion. Where can people go if they want more information on you or on the book? <laughs> Okay, very simple. Just go to saradorman.com, S-A-R-A-D-O-R-M-O-N, or any variation of those two words, and you'll find me, because uh, <laughs> I bought them all. Um, yeah, saradorman.com, you can get my book there, uh, you can get it on Amazon, but if you go to the website, you can get it right there. I also have other things on my website. I have a blog that I do every week, and, and there are other interviews that are up there that you can hear. So I'd love to have people come, and fee- I'd love feedback on my book. I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. Billy, thank you so much. I so appreciate it.